Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. When I was in year five or maybe year six, I, um, me and my friend, David, we had a race on our bikes as you do. And uh, if you know Lizero High School, there's a, like a huge hill. Like the whole school is built on a hill. And it's like probably, it's like probably 400 meters. Like it's a long hill, speed bumps, everything, right? And so we are lined up at the start of the race, the starting line, the imaginary starting line. And uh, we head off down the hill, down the speed bumps, down the speed bumps, into the bus bay, through the bus bay, left onto the main road, and the finish line is in sight, which was Lizero train station. And we were both riding on the road, neck and neck, it's very close. A car starts coming up behind us, right? And so I do the good courteous thing and I pop up onto the footpath and David's still on the road, but he's okay, he's out, he's he's to the left, it's all good. Car passes and we're racing, we're racing and I'm looking at him I'm staring him in the eyes, and then I go straight into a watch for bike sign. And I ding, I ding the watch for bike sign, I bend my bike, and I end up in the, in the swamp in Lizero. And a very bruised ego, and I had to hobble home with my, like, bended bike. Um, but it's really important what you're looking at. <laughs> And the question I have for you this morning is, what are you looking at? What's your vision? What's your aim? We're going to look at at, uh, Luke chapter 11. We've been uh, going through uh, the book of Luke since we launched, so for a couple of years. And um, the whole reasoning behind that is that we would just continue to fall back into the Gospels, that we would slow bake in the good news of Jesus, in the words, the ways, the works of Jesus. And so we're going through this little uh, uh, section of Luke, Luke chapter 11. We've got this week and then next week is the end of that chapter. Uh, But Luke chapter 11, verse 33 to 36. No one puts a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand whereas light can be seen by all who enter the house. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when it is unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. If you're filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant, as though a floodlight were filling you with light. Classic, classic Jesus, classic metaphor. He's just painting all these word pictures. Um, verse 33, if you can go back to that, Steve. No one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. This is pretty self-explanatory, right? You don't light a lamp. You don't put a light on and then put something over the top of it to make it dark. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand 
or you know, in our time, you'd put a light in the right place in the house, whereas light can be seen by all who enter the house. What is Jesus talking about here? We know that Jesus often is referred to as the light. John says that, a light in the darkness. A light in the darkness is coming. Um, I was talking with a, a pastor from New Zealand just this week, a great pastor, his name's Sam Harvey, and he said this thing that really resonated with me. He said, Jesus makes a terrible hobby. Jesus makes a bad hobby. Uh, And if you're trying to follow the way of Jesus and have kind of just Jesus, one of the many things that you do, you will be eternally frustrated. If your light, if Jesus the light is in the wrong place in your house, it will just be so annoying because you'll be running into things, there'll be dark corners, there's like lots of light, but it makes shadow in other places. It's just like, it doesn't work. Jesus said this, cling to your life and you will lose it. Give up your life and you will find it. The way of Jesus will frustrate you to no end if it's just one of eight things you do throughout your week. You've got to put the light in the right spot. We often talk about this here around the, the bounded or the centered set. And a lot of people when it comes to religion or following Jesus or Christianity, they want to say that like, there is a boundary to who's in and who's out. We just want to do this naturally as humans. We're pretty good at saying, like, this person is in this camp, that person is in that camp. This person's progressive, that person's conservative. This person, you know, likes Minecraft and that person doesn't, whatever it is. I don't know why I chose Minecraft. That was weird. I was under the spot. I just, everyone was looking at me. Um, and, and this, is, this is the way that humans work. We just want to say who's in and who's out. And often we make the boundaries to be things like what you believe, like whether you believe the right thing, you know, how often you go to church. Are you in a dinner party? You know, are you in a triad? You're like extra special if you're in a triad. Um, you know, these are the people that are in and those are the people that are out. But when Jesus came, he just turned that upside down. And all the people that were in, like the Pharisees were in, Jesus was, most scholars think, a, a Pharisee. Like, that was his kind of crew. He was his, like, theological posse that he hung out with. The reason that he had so many interactions with Pharisees in the Bible is because, like, they're the, the people that he went to church with, you know? Like, they're the people that he hung around. And they believed all the right things, but Jesus was like, no, you're not in. These people are in. The tax collectors and the prostitutes. So what's going on here? What Jesus comes and gives us is not a bounded set, a set where there's boundaries, but a centered set. It's all about your direction. And what he showed us is that the people that seem like they're the closest can be going the opposite direction. And the people that seem like they are, they are far away can be pointed towards Jesus. The way of Jesus is directional. It's not positional so much. It's not about just believing the right things or doing the right things. All of that stuff helps. It's a means to an end. But it is about the direction of your heart. And having Jesus in the right place, the lamp in the right place, is a really central part of what it means to follow Jesus. It's not just about the right behaviors or the right beliefs. It's about, number one, are you facing Jesus? And number two, are you taking your next best step towards Jesus? No matter how far away you are. Not if you're like all the way out in the back or you're really close. Are you 
pointed toward Jesus, and are you taking your next step? Verse 34. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when it's unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. This is an interesting little statement here. Your eye is like a lamp for your body. What's Jesus trying to say? He's, he's saying the light gets in through your eye. Another way to put this is your vision or your focus or your aim. It's like your eye. What are you looking at? So let's, let's read it with, with vision. Your vision or your aim or your direction is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your vision is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when it is unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. What we look at and what we aim at, what we're, what we're moving towards, really, really matters. Here's one of the key things you need to know about humans, is that humans thrive off vision. Humans thrive off vision. Vision is a key ingredient to the good life. The Proverbs puts it like this in verse 29. Um, uh, without vision, people perish. Without aim, without direction, people perish. Jordan Peterson, who I think is a fascinating person, he's a psychologist, he's very political right now, but he has some good stuff to say. Um, he, he says this in his biblical lectures. He says, we are aiming creatures. We're aiming creatures. I reckon that is a very profound statement. That we like set an aim, we look at something, and we move towards it. That's like what humans do. We set an aim and we move towards it. Um, you know, Milo is like learning to walk and climb at the moment. He's a bit of a late bloomer. He's still like not walking. He's kind of like his dad. Um, but he's getting to the point where I'll take him to the park and he'll climb up the stairs to go to the slide. But mid climbing up the stairs, he'll just get so proud of himself that he's climbing. And then he will look to me like to affirm that like he's doing a good job and he would just walk off the edge and just destroy himself. Which is sad to see. But it's a good illustration because <laughs> what you're aiming at determines your direction and what happens afterwards, right? Your vision is important. We are aiming creatures. In 1961, some of us were alive, then, not me, but some of us in the room. Um, John F. Kennedy, maybe Vince. Um, John F. Kennedy was the, the president of the US, and um, he said that, he said, by the end of the decade, we're going to put a man on the moon. It's an incredible vision statement, which we look at, we look back at that, like, and it's like history, and it's like, oh yeah, it happened, but like it hadn't happened yet. It was, an, it was just a very bold thing to say. We're going to put someone into a ship filled with rocket fuel and we're going to propel them off the planet and then somehow we're going to land them on a space rock and they're going to walk around, get back in and somehow get back onto Earth without dying in all of that. And then in 1969, a man did walk on the moon. Whether you, you know, there's conspiracy theories out there. <laughs> In eight years, he set this vision, and, and there was just this incredible move. Like, they didn't have iPhone. They didn't even have cassette tapes, I don't think. No. No CDs. 
That's incredible. That is wild. Vision brings direction and ambition and shapes who we become. And then since then, you know, in the space kind of industry, there's been no compelling vision until Elon Musk comes and says, we're going to build a colony on Mars. And then all of a sudden, what do you see? All this like activity and companies rise up and all this like space tourism and stuff because vision brings ambition and direction. It shapes who we, are, who we become. We are aiming creatures. We are meant to aim at something. Humans thrive of vision. And we have two alternatives like to aiming at the right thing. The first one is that we're just aimless, which is one of the like worst things you can say about someone, right? Like they're just so aimless. They have no direction. They've got no idea what they're doing. They've got no idea where they're going in life. I don't know if you've ever felt like that in life. It is a horrible feeling to feel like you are aimless. But the second enemy of having the right aim or vision in life, which is probably the more pervasive amongst us in the room is aiming at the wrong things, aiming in the wrong direction, the wrong thing in the center of our, of our set. Because we are all, like, we all naturally aim at something. And some of that is just cultural, some of that's from, you know, our family of origin, some of it's just because that's, you know, the stream that we fell into, some of us are aiming towards career or we aim towards family life, or we aim towards certain hobbies, or we aim towards, you know, a certain financial goal, or where you live, or your health, or some sort of success in your eyes. A lot of that time, we aim subconsciously. We haven't actually consciously made that decision. So why is that so bad? Why is it so bad to aim at family, or career, or success, or... Um, you know, Instagram followers, whatever it is. Well, your vision determines your direction. We are aiming creatures. We look at something, we move towards it. And what you're moving towards determines what you become, right? So in 2010, I had this incredible moment with God where out of nowhere, I felt like he was calling me to plant a church, which was so random to me, so left of field. And um, 2010, we started this church, 2000, we launched this church in 2019 publicly. Nine years. That vision changed my life, right? It changed who I became because it changed the people I hung around. It changed the questions I asked. It changed the plans we made with our future. It changed where we're, you know, what we're going to do about housing. You know, all this stuff changed because of that vision. Our vision determines who we become, I wonder what your vision is. Even when you have a vision like that, what happens when the church gets planted? Or when COVID comes, right? So our vision, I think, must be found in something bigger than your career, because at some point you will retire. You know, your family, your kids, at some point they will move out. Instagram followers, some point, you know, the algorithm will, ch- will change. Or TikTok or whatever it is will get banned because it's communist spying mechanism. <laughs> Family or career or impact or planting churches, they're like all, all really good things. All those are great things. But they are only enhanced by fitting within a larger vision and a larger direction. Jesus said this. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. 
Seek first the kingdom, and all these other things will be added to you. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. C.S. Lewis, he's always bringing the goods. Aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. Your vision determines who you become. Your vision determines your direction. Your direction determines who you become. If your career is your vision, you will become your career. If family is your vision, you know, I hear this a lot. Like, we're just going to, like, focus on the family for a while. We're just going to, like, let everything else go. Like, this is the most important season. And there's, like, there's so much. It's very admirable to say that. But if vision is your family, you'll become child-centered. Like your whole life will be centered around your child, which is like great, but then they move out. (laughs) If your impact is your vision, you will bend and shake to the mercy of your followers. If church planting is your vision, COVID will come and it will crush your dreams, (laughs) right? There has to be a better and a bigger vision in life. There has to be. For Christians, we believe that our vision is the king and his kingdom. Jesus and his government. A bigger story where he is recreating all things. Where the lion lies down with the lamb and the swords are turned into plowshares. And there's a city and there's this river running out and there's trees growing out that, ne- that always bear fruit. And the leaves are for the healing of the nations and the, the city's gates are open and every tribe and tongue is welcomed in. It's a place of joy and beauty and wholeness and creativity and life and peace. If Jesus and his kingdom is your vision, you will become a kingdom type person. If career is your vision, you'll become a career type person. What, it, what we aim at determines what we become. If Jesus is your vision, I think the person that turns up at your career will be better for it. If Jesus and his kingdom is your vision, I believe your family and your friends, the person that turns up to them will be better for it. If impact or some sort of success or financial goals or whatever it is, I think because this is not just about what we do, what we accomplish, but it's about who we are becoming. There's a concept between, um, I was at a funeral last week, there's a, there's a concept between um, resume virtues, the stuff that we like respect about people uh, when we're around them sometimes, you know, like what they've achieved or what they drive or their house or their career or, you know, like how much impact they have. But then there's eulogy virtues, which is what people really talk about when it gets to your funeral, about the sort of person that you were, the sort of person that you become, how you treated people. And the way of Jesus gets deeper than what we do, and it's about who we are becoming. Do you know a lion is very capable of catching and eating mice? But if that's all it did, it would slowly die because the energy expelled 
to catch a mice is less than what they get in calories to get it back. And that's why they hunt antelope, right? A lot of output to, to catch an antelope, but then the calories they receive is, is well worth the output. And I think that's about, our, I think there's, a, like, there's something in us about what we're aiming at. And sometimes we're aiming at all these little things, all these mice in our life, the, ha- the house we live in, or our career goals, or our family goals, like all that's good stuff. But if that's all we're chasing, what happens if that stuff crumbles? What's your antelope? What's your center? What's your direction? What's your vision? We have to put the, the light in its rightful place. Not under a bowl, but in a central place in our lives where the light touches every part of our life. And Jesus' constant call, which is a hard call, but is to put him above all else, above family, above what people think of us, above our finances. And that is really freaking hard. But man, is it worth it? Because it's not just about what we're achieving, it's about who we are becoming. Jesus makes a terrible hobby, but he makes a great king. So what's your center? What's your antelope? What are you chasing? What's your bigger vision? What's your, you know, what are the, what's the thing that you are stepping towards? The radical call of Jesus all through the Gospels is to repent for the kingdom is near. And that word repent means to turn. Turn back. Turn back to the center. It doesn't matter how far away you feel like you are, how out of touch, out of habit you are, or whatever it is. The constant call always is come back. Return back to the center. You might disagree with me about what the best center is. You might say, actually, you know, like this season for me, like it's about my career. Or this season for me, it's about my kids, you know. You might think like there is a better center than Jesus. And that's okay. But I think it's important to be intellectually honest about that with yourself. Because a lot of times we just fall into this subconsciously because of the cultural pull or whatever it is. What's your direction? And we talk about, you know, we follow the way of Jesus. And once you find your direction, if you're a follower of Jesus in this place, and you actually are putting Jesus in the center, then the best thing to do from there on is to put some guardrails around your direction because we, are, we love to drift. <laughs> We're drifters, you know? I get distracted by everything. What are the guardrails? The two things we say here is gathering and practicing. Being around other believers. For us, it's like Sunday gatherings, scripture, prayer, worship, dinner parties, the Lord's Supper around community, sharing the highs and lows of life, triads, walking at the pace of Jesus with others, 
having some people to keep you accountable to what you want, praying for one another, confessing to one another. And then practicing, that we are actually practicing Christians, that we put habits in place, reading scripture or prayer or Sabbath or hospitality or generosity or serving, all of that stuff, like this is not boundaries, it's guardrails. It's not like, because when these are the boundaries, then like that's the goal, like, oh, like I, I got to three Sundays in a month this week, so I'm doing good. It's not about that. It's about your direction. Those things, Sundays, reading your Bible, praying, meeting up with others and confessing your sin, whatever it is, that is a means to the end, and the end is Jesus. So we're just going to have some silence, some time and space, and I just want you to consider that question. What is my real center? What is my center? What's my antelope? And maybe... It's an invitation from Jesus this morning to repent, to reorient, to put him at the center again. We're just going to take a few moments of silence, and then the banner can come up. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, we know that you are in the room. God, would you reveal to us, challenge us, show us, what we're running towards. God, I thank you for your forgiveness and your grace and your constant invitation back to relationship with you. So we just give you this few moments of silence to speak. Mm-hmm.